0: You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
1: Hey, welcome back to CXMH. My name is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, and I am one of your hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Robert Bohr. Hey, Robert. How are you doing today?
2: Hey, Holly. I'm doing well. I'm excited for this conversation. How are you doing?
1: all no, right. i'm equally excited for today's conversation well uh, i know you and i were just texting a little bit before that this is our last guest for this season and we are Thanks. so excited cool. to be bringing andy colber back onto the show so for yeah. those who are not familiar with andy she is a licensed professional counselor and an author of the critically acclaimed Try Softer, as well as her new book, Strong Like Water. She has received additional training in her specialization of trauma and body-centered therapies and is passionate about the integration of faith and psychology. Andi regularly speaks at local and national events, and she has appeared on several podcasts and is returning guest here on CXMH. So I'm going to tell her guests to go back to episodes 32, 42, and 89, where she joined us. As a survivor of trauma, Andi brings hard-won knowledge about the work of change, the power of redemption, and the beauty of experiencing
0: God with us in our pain. Andi, welcome back to the show. Thank you both so much for having me. It's really good to be with you on your show.
2: Yeah. Welcome home. I, I know. do I brag often about You told me one time CXMH was the first podcast that you came on and discovered that you liked teaching in that manner. So I claim that all the time.
0: I love that. I'm glad you do. It was at the time, especially a big, it felt risky to do that. Mm. Um, I Mm -hmm. thought that maybe I would like it, but I internally was, you know, it kind of had to do some work to be able to be like, it's okay. You can just try it. And, um, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that. And um grateful for the times that I've gotten that, to do it with you, too, Holly, and just what you both have done with the show. It's really beautiful.
2: Well, oh, thank, you.
0: thank you. Oh, It's such a gift to have you back on. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there anything um, that we missed in your fancy bio there that you want to share?
0: Gosh, um, you know. No. Um how much time do we have? <laughs> no. <laughs> mm-hmm. no. Um no, I would say, you know, maybe one thing is just that we moved from Colorado this last June and I now live in western Michigan, which has been a, a pretty big change. Um and so, yeah, just adjusting to that and and so kind of in a a little bit have been in a transitional season. Yeah. Yeah, I um, have loved the
1: pictures that you share since you've moved up there and being by the lake, and I just love it. I'm I'm so so thrilled for y'all to be settled in up over there, and um, it seems like it's been a good a good move for for you and your family.
0: So that's yeah. good. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, we are loving getting to see like a huge body of water, primarily Lake Michigan. Um, I can feel in my body. Um, you know, just what, how that regulates me. And I am so grateful because even though I loved Colorado and, and the mountains were wonderful to be able to see what a, what a privilege, but um, being by a big body of water, man, it, 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 it regulates mm. me in a way that um, not many other things do. Well,
2: that's a perfect segue. Speaking <laughs> of water, there you go. Uh, the title of your newest book that we're talking about today that I know Holly and I both were super excited. to. Uh, see it launched into the world confetti from the box was like all over my kitchen for a bit i know a little the little print that came with it one at a time was the first piece of artwork that i put in in this new office that i'm in here but the new book is called strong like water finding the freedom safety and compassion to move through hard things and experience true flourishing so the title strong like water i love your your titles are like counterintuitive maybe right try softer mm-hmm. and then strong like water mm-hmm. i know that's intentional but the the this title comes with a couple layers of meaning that you okay. unpack throughout the book can you explain a little bit about what that means
0: yeah well i'm glad that you pick up that feeling of it you know you can like that there's the layers to the meaning is how i think of it and i i love when words like when you don't even say a lot but it's but the things that are there um, have deep impact. Um, I'm drawn to that personally, which is you know probably why that comes out in that way. But Strong Like Water is something that I think has been sort of being – it has been in the process of being birthed in me, I think, for a long time. But it was really after TriSofter came out that it's like I began to have a language around something and it was that – I think for everyone, but primarily trauma survivors, what I found is that they would want to be proud or a lot of people want to be proud of themselves for things like healing or things like feeling their feelings or even you know just some of the things that go into the process of healing. They, they would like want to be proud of themselves. But then there's like this conflicting sense of, isn't that kind of weak? Am I just sort of like, um, you know, I used to be strong, quote unquote, and now I'm not strong because now I let myself cry. And it, it's like it 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 this phrase makes me laugh, but it got my goat a little bit. It gets my goat because i I think of the fact that when we need to survive, that is strength. But healing, and becoming more whole and becoming who we really are that is also deeply strong mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. strong like water is my attempt to honor the full spectrum of our humanity like not only just what it is what it takes to survive um and that i really this is so important to me to say like and that is worth honoring you know all mm-hmm. those things that come up in us those instincts to survive we need those and they matter and yet as i think all of us intuitively know it's not sustainable to live from that kind of strength all the time mm-hmm. which is why we get to those places where we crash where we we do fully burn out we you know the things that protected us start becoming toxic to us because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to find their end and their completion. And so, yeah, Strong Like Water is this attempt to say, I think there is a whole flow of strength within us. And how do we enter the flow? Yeah. That's so good. I
1: I love, I, I want to just elevate one thing that I really appreciate, not just in your response here, but just in the ways that you approach your work, this compassion that you have for trauma survivors is beautiful. And I know you and I have had conversations about this here and there over the years, but the compassion and love and gentleness and the ways that you see trauma survivors and elevate their experience in a way that is so tender is such a gift to us, Andy mm-hmm. like I really hope you know, I just, I'm so, so grateful for the ways that you mm-hmm. do thread together words of the experience in such a profound way. Oh, thank oh, you.
2: Yeah. Thank you. And I add to that, that both Trisopter in this book and all of your work, honestly, while obviously addressing Trump survivor, like, I think they are so mm-hmm. widely applicable that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I've recommended Softer to countless people, whether right. they mm-hmm. go, oh, I am, capital G traumas or, or not, like I think <laughs> it's all widely applicable and helpful. So just to highlight that as well. yeah
0: mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, I um and that is my like I just want to say like for both of you, that means so much. And and really that is my hope. That it's almost like by by zooming in on like I think a marginalized population of folks who've experienced trauma. And certainly there are multiple <laughs> marginalized populations. But but in this case, particularly like coming from the lens of assuming if you are reading this, there is a chance that you have had some forms of trauma in your life. And very likely you may not even be calling those things trauma yet. Yeah. And I find that yeah, those, those are often actually folks um, – A lot like I think both for people who would identify themselves as trauma survivors, but also folks who don't identify themselves that way, but they are still resonating with the themes the themes of stuckness, the themes of not being seen, the themes of working against their body, the work, the themes of not being able to listen like what does it mean to listen to your body what does it mean to be embodied what does it mean um to have compassion for your own experience and it's like you know my hope is is that it's almost like in hitting as close to the bullseye of speaking to the experience of a trauma survivor it's almost like it's it's good for everyone when we when we work to have that trauma informed posture, because other folks, even if they don't identify with the maybe the most uh, you know, big T trauma, there's gonna be elements of, of how that moves out that are still going to apply to them, but it's yeah. not at the expense of someone who's more vulnerable. And yeah. that's that's really my desire because I think there's lots of resources out there for folks who maybe don't always maybe have less vulnerability in those areas but there's fewer resources for folks who have high levels of vulnerability um and don't and don't can't access those resources
1: yeah oh, that's good that's good oh my social work heart so happy hearing some of that the ways that you unpack that so thank you and just kind of building i would say just building a little bit upon this i want to hear you talk about safety in a moment but before I do that, before I you know give you my question that I have for you, I do want to comment on the nuance that you integrate in this book. Without going into weeds, you still add the appropriate level of nuance, I think, around several of these difficult topics that are really hard to talk about or wrestle with. Um, that oftentimes, when you know we there may be well intended folks out there trying to offer helpful things, but without that nuance, it Ugh. can be very hurtful. Yeah. Um, so I'll say, you know, for example, in the book, you you talk about the difference between like discomfort and harm. And you hmm. actually kind of build on that, saying like the paradox of being human is that we need discomfort to grow, but it must occur at a pace and in a way, um, that our bodies can tolerate. It's kind of all wrapped up in this understanding around safety. Mm. So my question then, nodding after nodding to that nuance, you do talk about safety within this book quite a bit. And so I'd love to hear you talk about what safety is, um uh, maybe some of the components that are involved with it, and like how do we build this sense of felt safety?
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for just um, acknowledging that nuance. I think I yeah. am like a nuance, <laughs> like like that's like my love language is nuance. Um, and so I I try to build that in. I think of it like layering, you know. Um, and so what I'll just say, yeah, this one of the primary foundations of strong like water is built around safety. And so what I'll say, because I think. We can look at this a couple different ways. But one of the ways that might be helpful to understand it is through the lens of actually the flow of strength that I talk about in the book. Um, and the, so the flow of strength essentially is that I rec- or I name that I believe that we have at least three. Maybe there's more. But in this sort of theoretical conceptualization I put forward, I say three, you know. And the the first is that is a situational strength. And situational strength is essentially survival strength. And, and you could think of this like anything that our body has to do. And I mean that literally anything. And so there's so many variations of what that might mean. When we, for folks who are familiar with the term, like when we go outside of our window of tolerance, when we go outside of the range where our body can handle what's happening and we go into a, a stress or a trauma response, we are in survival strength. And so again, we need that strength. Like we need it to um, meet, um, you know, threat that might be occurring because it gives us the best opportunity to survive. And for trauma survivors or for anyone who has a history of unresolved trauma, the tricky thing is that sometimes what can happen is that we might perceive we need situational strength even when actually it may not necessarily be needed in that moment. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit. (laughs) But So essentially, the the mechanism that I sort of conceptualize that allows us to move along the flow is what I call um, compassionate resourcing. And compassionate resourcing, I really borrow from the definition that Dr. Arielle Schwartz uses for resourcing. And she says a resource is anything that communicates safety to your body in the present moment.
2: Yeah, it's good.
0: So so really, you can almost think about compassionate resourcing and safety as essentially the same thing. But I like, yeah. I like being able to use the phrase compassionate resourcing because it expands safety. Because it's almost like we think of safety, I think that feels sort of flat. But like a compassionate resource could be um, – Uh, noticing the sun, (laughs) like, like that might bring me into the present moment. It might be me taking a moment and like really noticing the details in the space I'm in. That is, it's communicating safety, but I'm, but there's also, it's a mechanism. It's, it's like an offering to your body, right? Like here's what I'm showing you that you're safe. And so essentially as our bodies have enough resources We intuitively move along that flow towards transitional strength. And what's happening is from like a neurobiological perspective, that prefrontal cortex that goes offline when we are in situational strength, it's beginning to come either fully or partially online. And why that matters is, is that essentially this allows us to, it's not that the survival energy is completely gone. It's that we are now able to observe it and sort of like a different part of our brain is, is back online that allows us to have some choices about what we now want to do since we have this sense of threat happening in our body. Yeah. And that's one of the big differences between situational and transitional because it's like basically this is where you start to have some choices. But the thing that gives you the choices is our body's perception and the experience of safety. And so basically, as we have more safety, we have more choices. And as we have more choices and we have more safety, then we intuitively continue along that flow of strength towards integrated strength, which is what I would say is sort of like the the process of being with that pain with the disturbance in a way that allows it to fully process through our body so that there's a sense of completion in Same. our bodies so that's like it's now we are fully online but the experience is also able to move through and that's so so with this um you know going back to and we can come back to the flow of strength but with the safety piece what i would just say is that there's so there's so much there's so many different perspectives on safety but i in my in this book am primarily coming from a neurobiological lens i'm saying that you know like according to polyvagal theory our body we use neuroception to constantly scan our environment for safety or threat and for folks who maybe have had like they're mostly had, have had experience of like there's resolved, you know, like their trauma or their big um, disturbances have mostly been resolved. Their body is going to more accurately perceive what's going on in their environment. And so if there's a threat, it's it's there's a good chance it's a real threat. And if it's not, then there's a good chance that it's easier to stay settled and and work through that process. For folks who have a lot of unresolved trauma, what can happen is that neuroception gets really highly, like overly attuned to danger, and it can misfire. And so this is the work of, as we become aware of it, we can build that safety. Like we can, you know, um, Deb Dana talks about felt safety through, through three, you know, three different avenues, you know, it's like there's safety that we can experience within ourselves, between ourselves, um, and with, I'm trying to remember, what's the third one? In ourselves, between external. ourselves. external So
2: like internal, interpersonal, and external.
0: That's right. Yes. So I see that. I think that's such a beautiful, helpful perspective. It's like those are all routes that we can compassionately resource. So we can compassionately resource potentially internally, and then we can do it sort of interpersonally, and then we can do it externally, and all of those are ways in to building the safety. And then I see that really working with, and this is a this is something that makes me geek out. And but essentially, oh, I'm like, it. <laughs> <laughs> as we experience this, we begin. All, all types of safety ultimately can be internalized into our body. And when that happens, this is where the magic really starts to happen. because then, even when we get into situations that have maybe a sense of a little, of threat and, and it may be very much even a valid threat. If we can stay connected to that safety that we've sort of internalized, now we are staying integrated even while facing big, potentially hard things. And so, this I think for me is like the whole trajectory. You know, I think I probably gave you a lot more than you asked for in that oh, question. I it. Bit of it. Yep. Yeah. But that's sort of how I see all of that working together.
1: No, that's so good. I know. Yeah. I will say it, it was really interesting trying to come up with um, and think through questions for today because they're so interwoven with each other. I mean, We're... just kind of speaking to and nodding to, you know, these concepts that you're talking about. They are so interwoven. So, you know, you've already We're... touched on several of the other things I was going to ask about. So, you know, so we'll, we'll kind of work through that. But <laughs> and I love it. I love it. And I and I do think it is all deeply interwoven. We're... So I'm glad that you kept going and I'm mm-hmm. glad you gave us more and what I had initially asked for. You gave yeah. us exactly what we needed to hear. So thank you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking through which which part to jump back to, right? Yeah. Okay. So you used the phrase window of tolerance, which mm-hmm. some of our listeners may be familiar with and some might be like, I don't know what you're talking about, what, right? So if that's, unpack that a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to set the totally. question up,
2: but I feel like you can do it.
0: <laughs> totally, yeah. So the window of tolerance is a concept coined by Dr. Dan Siegel, and a lot of how I talk about it is very much also through the lens of polyvagal theory. But so essentially, the window of tolerance tolerance is a range of arousal in which we can feel our feelings, have an experience, um, and and in that range, we are integrated. We are able to, you know, I I talked about that prefrontal cortex, but that prefrontal cortex, it stays online. Um, But also, we sort of have the capacity to connect with other people. We have the ability to connect um, with resources in our own body, like parts of our lived experience that have been helpful. And really, even from like a little bit of a faith integration lens, I think that this is the place in which we have the best capacity to really interface with God. Hmm. And so that and so that window is just this really important place where we are sort of ourselves. Yeah. And then I and then I don't know if it would be helpful, but I can go into how that connects with our stress responses. Yeah. Would that be no, helpful? Please. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um when we leave our window of tolerance, we will then typically because our body detects that there may be a threat occurring. We will often go first up into sort of a fight or flight, or there can sometimes be forms of fawning um, that can happen. And then if that doesn't resolve the threat, we will typically then sort of drop down into like a dissociative, potentially like, you know, it could look a little bit like depression or it could look um, even as severe as like losing consciousness. Um, But basically, this is where our body's beginning to be like, okay, you know, mobilization didn't help. So we're trying to figure out, like, immobilization or conservation. There's a way our body's trying to keep us safe through sort of disconnecting from ourselves. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm. When I talk about those clients, I talk like a possum, right? Like, when it, like, flips over, right? Because it can't run fast enough because it's a possum and possums are dumb and it can't fight you right like those aren't viable options so its best option right is like to not experience it some right like how do i make this the least painful right so and I'm, I'm not you know people aren't possums i'm not you know whatever weird way you could take that but just that kind of idea of like okay even if we're arguing and then sometimes in an argument someone goes like okay whatever right they just like check out of that and like avert their eyes and stuff and i there are some folks I go, hey, that you're not choosing to not engage anymore. Sometimes, right? Like you, like can't make words, and that's really helpful for some people because in that moment, right, they're going, I need to engage. Like now, I'm you know, now they're upset that I'm disconnecting, you know. But it's like a struggle. It's just the next step there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how you make that applicable and accessible for people to see their their themselves. Um, in that experience. And I think it can be so life-giving for people to begin to have that language um, for like, oh, that's, that's why that happens. And that's what that's called, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for kind of giving us a review of the window of tolerance. I know that that was extremely helpful for me when I had first um, learned about that term. And really beginning to understand a little bit more about what does that look like when I'm within that versus outside of it? When do I get outside of the window of tolerance? What are the things in my life that kind of move me in that direction or help me kind of come back in? So I think that's really helpful, just having that language. I do want to go back to the compassionate resources in a little bit, but one of the things that I want to first elevate, and it does tie in a little bit with the window of tolerance, is this practice that you write about called honoring your container Mm. in the book. And I know it's not necessarily like a new concept. Like we have had words and language around some of this. But I think the way that you described it in this book, and perhaps just how it overlapped with the season of life or, you know, coming out of Covid and all of the things that, you know, we have had to hold um over the last few years. Really? when I was reading that section, it really struck me as a way of validating the fact that my container is limited and it is not an endless infinite, you know, it's not an infinity pool where it just keeps like, <laughs> anything. So I th- I just, I want to hear you talk a little bit about this sure. practice honoring our container and what does it mean in terms of holding both seen and unseen
0: variables? Yeah. Talk this Talk talk us through this. Yeah, well, thanks for um, naming that. I think this is, in in all of my interviews, this is the first time I've gotten to talk about this particular practice, so I'm excited.
1: Oh man, it was my, honestly, I think it was one of my favorite things out of the whole book. Uh, I mean, as soon as I finished reading it, I closed the book and I was like, Corey, we like had like a 20-minute conversation about it while we were driving, so uh, anyways. Yeah,
0: no, that makes me, I'm so glad um, yeah. So, you know, as I'm thinking about, you know, this whole concept, one thing I'll just say is that, you know, I think somatic psychology, this is very much rooted in a somatic perspective around this idea that not from like a, a place like you're a container that your body can just throw away, but from a place that we are, like we have limits, right? Like there are, there's an, there's ends to us, Um And that when I think about the fact that like, in a way, like our bodies, our nervous system, like they are, in a way, our containers for everything that we move through in our lives and and in any particular moment. Like, because this is more than a theoretical concept, this is like an embodied experience. It's almost like, you know, in one moment while you're processing something big for example your container you you might be like almost full right like maybe you got some not great news and you know you're like if i were to look at myself like a container i'm like i'm 95% like no i can't if someone tries to pour more into me right now i will overflow there is nothing else available for holding And I actually like to pair this with the window of tolerance because what I would say is, is that it's almost like once we get to the edges of the container, once we get to the edges of what what we're holding, and it almost doesn't even matter what it is that's in the container. It could also be good things. If the container Mm -hmm. is too full, from a physiological perspective, our bodies, that's going to begin to be experienced as a threat. By our body, so even if it's like, oh, kids' birthday parties, and then oh, and then everybody I know having a celebration at the same time, and then all these good work things happening, and then you know what I mean. But it's just bigness. If it's even still, if if it's too much for our body, it's too much for our body.
2: Mm, Um, But in the book,
0: I talk about it through the lens that we can everybody is going to be carrying both seen and unseen things in their containers and that this is where things like racism and discrimination and a trauma history and poverty and through the lens of like aces you know adverse childhood experiences and um all of those things when i say unresolved trauma this is part of also what i'm naming that it's like the cost of carrying that around in your container all the time is high. And it's not to say, I want to just name that, that doesn't mean that those things for all time will always be experienced that way. Like we can, and we are capable of metabolizing those experiences. And, and, And it's not a simple, it's not always simple. It can be very complicated, but it can be a both and. But so I think in this particular practice in the book, I think that there's something really, I, pr- I hope and I pray for readers that when they, they look at this practice and that they are invited to say, so what are you holding? What have you God. been holding through the last couple years of the pandemic? What has your body, like, what does it cost you to hold, you know, fill in the blank. And to just take a moment to externalize in a place and to almost imagine that if you are a limited person and your capacity has been used by all of these things, and let's just say like, oh yeah, that means like every day I've got about 20% available to fit my whole life in. You know, that includes my self-care, my work that I do, maybe my kids, my friendships. Um, I think, I hope, and I pray that that will cultivate some self-compassion. To say, well, it makes a whole lot of sense that you're having to rely on situational strength a lot. That makes a lot of sense. And it doesn't mean that there isn't some, some ways forward. It doesn't mean that there's not hope but sometimes we need to name like it feels hard because it is hard i love that when you okay. elevate that quote it's so good yeah i think
1: what was so i think what was really supportive with this practice is it 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 really empowered me to be able to say no in ways that especially as somebody who identifies with type 2 on the enneagram it's a lot harder for me to say that, to say no. And this just brought language to like, oh, yeah, I I really can't. I need to be a lot more gentle with myself these days as we move through these things. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks for naming all that.
2: Yeah. I love all that. And there two things that, oh, now I forgot what the first one was. Okay. Well, okay. So, thinking about that, I, I do want to jump. Back to compassionate resources in terms of how okay. we navigate some, right? If we say, okay, <laughs> I think I am approaching my limit continuous or beginning to feel some dysregulation, right? So, uh, talk us through maybe even I know there's those three, you know, uh, did up I think she calls them glimmers, right? And the idea Flip. of internal, <laughs> external, inter- interpersonal. But if I'm somewhere I say, okay, compassionate resources sounds great what do I do with, like, how do I explore, like, I can't move to uh, by a lake, or some people say take deep breaths, and like, that just pisses me off more, if people tell me to, you know, like, how do I go about maybe exploring and, and figuring out what things are helpful for me?
0: Yeah. Well, I think a couple of things. One, I would just say that if you are a person that you notice your own ambivalence towards the safety like right like as soon as you're like oh I want to do that and then like there's like all the reasons why that doesn't (laughs) feel like it's possible for you first I just want to honor that that probably even that um sense of like limitedness that it's not possible is probably even a form of situational strength and I just want to honor and acknowledge that that's probably Often, because in the past when you've tried to access safety, it's it's not been truly safe, and that often that it's because safety wow. has been actually continually paired with threat, and so your body begins to learn every time I try to get to safety, it isn't really safe, and so I think like this is where all the new- this is why I do try to be really really nuanced in the book, and I try to really empower readers. Um, with lots of choices. And and even like if you're doing this alongside like a therapist, that is really often helpful because it helps to attune to like what's coming up to you like almost moment by moment. And that doesn't mean that this isn't still accessible or or available to you. But I want to name that because even that I believe is actually protective, that there's a part of you that's doing that because they feel like it's actually not safe To access the resource. And so oftentimes, what I would say is that part of what we want to do with this kind of work is we really, and this is like, I probably almost like talk about pacing to the point where I'm sure sometimes people are like, okay, I get it. Like, pace yourself. No, 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 no. Keep, (laughs) no, it's okay. Keep going. But 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 this is, this is why. I mean, this is why. Because right here, this, this like, feeling of like ambivalence is where I think a lot of people have learned, well, just push, just, just bowl right over that feeling and just try harder, try harder into healing. (laughs) And you can't, you just can't. Right. But what you can Mm -hmm. do, right. Even thinking again, like the integrating so much try softer here is like we can soften in. Right. And even as I think about strong like water, that's part of like the what's so powerful about the imagery and the metaphor of water is that water can soften even the strongest of rocks, right? Like things that have, um, you know, like it can create deep, deep caverns and wells and valleys in ways that you're like, how did a little stream do that? And so what I would just say is that it's almost like we want to get really, really small and intentional with this work. Like if you are that person who's like, I mean, that sounds good, but like I just, I feel tense even just thinking about that. Like first we just, we just, this is why I use the language of honoring so much because honoring that is essentially like we're saying to that protective strategy in your body, we're saying, we see you, we see you and we don't, and we want to respect you. And would you just allow us to, can we work together? Like, I'm not going to bowl you over, but let's just work together. And so, for example, like in Strong Like Water, this is why I give so many different, what I would call like routes into the work. Now, though, it could be as simple as beginning to, and I mean, for folks who've heard me before, I, I talk about grounding probably, again, like everywhere I go. But it's because it's one of those things that we can begin to get curious about and play with and, and in ways that we can really pace ourselves with. So so grounding is using our five senses to come into the present. Um, that's a way, what we are doing there is we are building safety. We are building the neuro pathways that when like a sense of threat begins to come up, it's allowing our brain to begin to say, hold on, wait, let's check in with the present moment. And so if that's, if that's where you are in this process, like, that's awesome. That's great. Continue with that work in the ways that feels, feels good. As that feels good, it's like you can build on that. So maybe sometimes you are beginning with the grounding and then you're noticing, oh, okay, once I'm grounded, safety doesn't sound quite so bad or getting regulated doesn't sound quite so uh, threatening so this is where you might explore something like one of the resources in, in the book is called art and art is it stands for you know I, I thought about it through the lens of like, I, like we are art I think we are art de- designed by a master artist And so what does that look like for us to really work with that art? And so it stands for attune, respond, and tend. And so with that, it's like, again, we first want to get those basic levels of safety in the ways that we can. And I give lots of different ideas for that. As that begins to even feel neutral, we can begin to get curious. If I'm attuning to myself, I'm beginning to get curious about what's coming up in my body. And if you are a person where you're like, oh, that's really hard and that's not really working, here's the thing is that you might touch into that and you'd be like, not today. And you're like, cool, because <laughs> that's too much for my container. And you're like, got it. And then we respect that and we might come out. Because see, this is how the relationship of trust is built in our body. Because when our body says too much and then we say, cool, our body says, oh, you're listening. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And so, and so really it's like designed, all this work is designed to say there are so many inroads. And as your body is able, that you you cue into that and you say, Oh yeah, this feels this does feel good to me today. This does feel supportive. Oh, I'm noticing I've got some movement here. I'm feeling my feelings in a way I never had before. Okay, What's working for me? Let's build on that, right? And so throughout the book, it's sort of like my hope is, I mean, my big hope is that the ways that I give people sort of ideas for compassionate resourcing would only be a jumping off point that that people would begin to say, "Oh, that became a that thing that I didn't think was a resource. That's a resource. And that other thing that I never thought would be a resource is a resource. And as what we can learn to do is, I think of it like we like we harness, we leverage goodness, and it builds on itself. Um, and so that is the long answer to I think the full like I, I hope in some ways it honors. I hope it does honor folks who, who that doesn't feel accessible to, while also painting a picture that there is a trajectory of hope in so many ways.
2: Yeah, I love that. I remembered my two things. I'm going to leave the second one, a mystery for all time. But the first one was, I love how much, obviously you're talking about like the embodied and and a felt sense of safety. And that's so maybe counterintuitive to how much we we go as a culture, like, oh, mindset, think, whatever, whatever, right? And I'll pull another Deb, uh, Deb Dana quote, right? Where she says, if you could have thought your way out of this, You probably would have by now, right? So, like, maybe we try a felt sense of safety instead of just oh, convince yourself that you're safe, right? Like, right. So even that is very honoring. Like, no, it my my body, my nervous system, like, are perceiving a threat. I need to help myself with a felt sense of safety, not just like, nah, don't do that. That's dumb. Come on, what are you doing? You know, like, not just think your way out of it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think that's why you know this concept of you know, show over tell, right? And that, I think that's very much what embodiment is. Like a felt sense of safety is show over tell in the sense of like we, it's because like, I love that quote. Like if you could have, you know, talked yourself Mm -hmm. out of it because it's like, that's a version of white knuckling, right? That's a version often of like trying to bypass our protectors and our protectors go, no, thank you. They go, you have not shown me this is safe. So I'm not, I can't soften. Right. Right. And so I think of it like I think this is why I'm often drawn, even I always keep attachment perspective in my work because so much of this work is very it is very relational. It's relational internally, it's relational externally. It's it's potentially relational with God. It's real, you know what I mean? Like it's always built in these relationship experiences. And in relationships, we build trust. Like if someone continually harms you and then they say to you, hey, you can trust me, how does that go? Like Uh nobody, everybody's like, you know, like that doesn't feel great. You don't really feel a sense of trust towards them no matter how they tell you that. And I think even when we don't mean to harm ourselves or our bodies, when we don't listen to the nuances, it can be experienced that way. Like, like you're not listening to me. So I have to do whatever I have, you know, our our survival strategies, our protective strategies are like, I'm gonna do what I have to do because ultimately I just want us, the system to survive. So when we work with our bodies, it can yeah. feel a little slower at first or it can feel a little slower. But in the big picture, it's like that little stream, right? That you're like, oh wow, look what that created. Look what that, that sort of sense of working with, it built trust, it built embodiment, it built compassion, um, and ultimately the ability to really be who you were made to be.
1: Yeah. Gosh, it's so good. Well there's one more that I'm going to ask you and then and then we'll we'll move into the the closing. So I actually I want to build on like you you've been I love that we've gotten to this point of discussing like what is happening within our bodies. Uh, because you know as we were just kind of talking about so often we I think it can be easy for several of us to get stuck in our thoughts and our emotions and not make that connection to what is happening within our body. Um, how to listen to it and and things like that. But also, how do we, to to use your language earlier in the conversation, how do we metabolize and move through some of this stuff too? Oh. So I love how in the book you write about, you know, doing dance parties at the end of the day with your kids. And like, we do the same. I mean, Oliver is like, he's trying out break dancing these days in our kitchen. And yeah,
2: <laughs> you have to send me a video.
1: Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I will. I'll send it to the both of you. But he was he was showing me a couple yesterday. And um, we just you know, it it has been a really good activity to help us move through the stress of the day. So I would love for you to kind of talk through this and the need for us to be moving
0: to, as you say, like to metabolize. Yeah. What is happening within us? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I love this. And Yeah, I think this is where it's like, uh, it's like, this is such both and work. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and so what it makes me think about is, you know, in our culture, I think we we praise emotional suppression. And I think even we praise um, sometimes I think like even like certain types of physicality are accepted in, in very narrow ways. But a lot of physicality that's rooted in like really attuning to our body is is not honored. And I see that being such a part of the systemic element of how this makes it hard to heal and to be a person who's really well and healthy, you know. And so thinking about this concept of metabolization, I think, you know, from a big picture, what that means and, and what I would just say is that like, when we have an experience and even putting it within the flow of strength like our bodies are designed to you know have like an emotion and then if you know if all of our capacities are online we digest almost like we digest food we digest our emotion and then it gets it gets put away it gets filed as a correct like like meaning it correctly is filed um and we are able to view it like a normal memory that's that's sort of the big picture and and so when we talk about metabolization part of what we're saying is it is they it is the facilitation of that process so so things that don't take us out of our window of tolerance it's a little bit easier to just like like you talk to somebody you had a little bit of some mild feelings about it and then your body processed it and you're like yeah i remember that conversation and that's the end but let's say big things happened or maybe because of complex trauma just interacting with people often brings up situational strength and it and it leaves these spiky feelings of not knowing what to do with yourself and what happened and right like this is a sign your body is like oh i don't know quite what to do right and so right. i just honor both of these but but so with this in the in terms of like listening to our bodies i think one, I think intuitive movement in the ways that feels accessible to you. So like, for example, like I love walking and I I walk often like two or three times a day if I have time <laughs> because I love the movement And and sometimes I'll do it to music and sometimes I might do a meditation and sometimes I'm just thinking and sometimes I'm praying. But there's something for me about that. Like intuitively, my body is like, this it satisfies me on a very in, like a, like on a very deep intuitive level and i would call that an example of a way that my body is that's a, it's supporting me in the metabolization now there's other ways that movement support us like in therapy i'm often prompting folks to connect with what they're feeling and and finding ways like if they if they feel comfortable with it like if someone's trying to set a boundary and we're talking about it i might have them press against a wall as we are literally discussing the boundary and visualizing what they are trying to do because i want them to feel in their bodies that sensation of the pressure and what that and what that's like Because part of what that's doing is it's allowing our bodies to complete this stress cycle that might be coming up. And so we're always, as we're able, we're trying to stay curious. And we're saying, okay, I'm like a little bit anxious. Not what do other people think I need? What do I need? So like, do I want to listen to some like rock? (laughs) Because something really frustrating just happened and I just want to kind of like, I want to move with that, man. You know what I mean? Or like there are just all these, there's so many different types of movement. And when it's rooted in our own attunement, this is a way that our body is able to, really it's like we're we're digesting it. And then we're able to keep what's helpful and we're able to essentially discharge what's not. Oh, she's
1: so good oh. i mean i love how you are teaching this to your kids too and modeling this for us to be thinking about how do we equip our kids with thinking about moving through these feelings i certainly echo that love of walking although i i love that you go multiple times a day like that's so good uh, if i can it's not always possible Hannah, yeah i know right but i also know that yeah like like i was just messaging with robert telling him that like my when i have long meeting days it's like meetings all day man you better believe i'm gonna have some music on at the end and be moving my body a whole lot one way shape or form i'm sure our listeners can resonate with this too and thinking about you know how they kind of move through their emotions but But you're right, like society or the systems, they don't elevate this or celebrate it or if they're not as mindful of, I think, the ways in which we need to move and not just be thinking and feeling and getting stuck in those. those. Yeah. Yeah. That's good.
2: Well, I know we've asked you this before. I kind of want to take your answer and then go compare it maybe across all the episodes that you've been here for. but. (laughs) One thing that we love to ask folks when they come on, as we're wrapping up, right, is what's your hope for this work? So obviously, multiple books now, maybe we'll we'll say for this book and like this chunk of work that goes along with this, right? Like, what, what is your hope for, for all of well, this work?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think probably a two-part answer. The first is rooted a little bit in I want to amplify and, and hopefully add some of my own perspective on, you know, I love like Deb Dana's work and Stephen Porges and like amplify the, the necessity of safety in healing and like why that matters. Like I, I hope that in a fresh way that readers will have some tools, some insight to be like there is maybe more available to them than they have realized and that it will allow folks to see that in a different way, that there is goodness available to them in ways that they maybe hadn't seen it before. Um, so I think that's one, that's the first part. But really, um, you know, in the dedication to my book, um, there's I, it, was, <laughs> it was to my it was lots of dedications, but you know, it was like to my mom, um, to Brendan and Tia and Jude, um, my husband Brendan and my kiddos, Tia and Jude. But then the last was, and to survivors everywhere, may your healing come. And I think that's like encapsulate my biggest hopes is like may your healing come. You know, with the people who are reading, engaging, that it's like, I think it reflects like a both and, like an already but not yet of, I think that the healing can be, it is possible. And, And yet honoring I hope that it honors the ache and that it creates some more ways um, to get there. Yeah. Gosh, that's so good.
1: Well, before wrapping up the episode, there is one more question that we're going to ask that is new that we've been asking folks this season. Um, and so Andy, we would love to hear what is serving your soul these days. very much.
0: Yeah. You know, I I think what's serving my soul is I've really been tuning into a really young young part of myself that I think I have not even had access to before um before even just the last couple months and what has been so good is really tuning in to to caring for that part of myself um yeah it's like interesting to me how like I go through different seasons of healing and I'm like okay cool. Like we got this. And it's like, and then I think our bodies say, okay, now you're ready for this. And so I've kind of been in a season where I, a, a part of my story that was not available to me before now, um, is been available. And so to just to tenderly care for that part of myself has really, I, have just seen the shifts even more, um, in my own self. And that has been really beautiful. Ugh, I love that.
1: I love that so, so much. And thank you for articulating that experience of like, as we heal, there are more opportunities to tend to other parts of us that need healing. it's yes. good. We need our attention. Well, listener, um, if you would like to connect with Andi, you can find her. Um, her website is AndiColber.com. We'll have these links all in the show notes. Um, you can find her on Instagram or Twitter at Andy Colber or on Facebook at Andy Colber Wright. Um, you can pick up a copy of either Strong Like Water or Try Softer um, or the Try Softer Companion Guide wherever you buy your books. Although, again, we'll add some links um, in the show notes for you to get them there. If you want to connect with the show, you can find us at CXMHpodcast.com or on any social media at CXMHpodcast. If you want to connect with Robert, you can find him at robert orcom or on social media at Robert Voore. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at HollyOxhandler. Andy, thank you so, so much Very again cool. for joining us today. And For your presence for the good work that you do and for this beautiful book that you've offered us. And your friendship,
2: can I add? Just I know
1: friendship.
0: Yes. That's right. Thank you. Right. Well, I feel the same. Thank you both for having me and grateful for both of you as friends and just your presence in the world. Thank you.
1: Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners before we stop the recording?
0: You know, just I am really grateful for folks to listen for listening and i just hope that um if it feels like a resource that this that this work will serve you
1: thanks for listening to the cxmh podcast Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on
0: iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at cxmhpodcast at gmail.com.